SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. You look for every advantage you can get. Congratulations. You just found it. The winning edge. Sports gaming strategies and information you won't find anywhere else. 24 hours a day. Seven days a week. This is the Sports Grid Radio Network. Are you ready? This is Pushing the Odds. Pushing the Odds. Live from Las Vegas. Vegas, baby. Vegas! Here's your host, Matt Peralt. And we are off and running on a Tuesday for pushing the odds here on Sirius XM Channel 204 live video stream on my Twitter account at Sports Talk. Matt, what's up? We've got a ton to get to today. NBA and NHL, we got four games to break down today. We're going to talk some baseball betting as well. RJ Anderson's coming on from CBS Sports, and then we'll talk to Derek uh, Car- uh, Carty, sorry, Derek Carty from EV Analytics about the Bat X. It is a algorithm that they have designed. They've taken it from the DFS world, which was very profitable for them, and now applying it to sports betting for baseball prop betting. He will join us coming up in the second hour here on SiriusXM at about 1.40 Eastern time today. R.G. Anderson will come on at 40 past this hour to come on about 12.40 Eastern time to talk about where we are here with baseball. Got a lot of football news announced to get into. This is the day that Aaron Rodgers, he doesn't show up, so everybody is all kind of out of sorts with this and like, oh my gosh, he's not going to be. It's fine, okay? Team knew it. Not that big of a deal that Aaron Rodgers is not a training a mini camp. Let's see if he misses training camp. Kind of a different situation. But we've got big games tonight. The Hawks and the Sixers already got a question from a listener here on the live stream about it. Any leans for the Hawks and the Sixers. And look, I'll tell you here at the top, I'm on Philadelphia tonight. I'm on the Sixers to, to uh, I'm on the Hawks to win the series. But I think this game at home. With Joel Embiid looking like a guy who can move, now it's pain management. That you know, torn meniscus is no joke, but it's all about how much pain can he handle. And they're not, they're, at least what the doctors are telling people publicly, that, that it's not going to be an injury that will be, he can't make it much worse. It's already you know, slightly torn. He could tear the whole thing, I guess, but I mean, he needs surgery to repair the meniscus. So basically, it's, it's all about his ability to handle the pain of playing, and so far, so good. In game one, he played really, really well. I laid five last night. The number right now is six and a half. It's starting to climb. The, the more this goes up, the more I'm going to get worried about my bet. Because last night I told you I was really concerned that I was on Milwaukee at plus one and a half. And the number had flipped to my side. Instead of getting points, the Bucks were laying points. They were the favorite last night and it went off. I don't know how the hell that happened, but... Professional money came pouring in on Milwaukee, and I was seeing the same thing, that the Bucks had their backs against the wall, that Giannis had to play like the MVP that he's been, and that they had to get some help. I mean, Chris Middleton, where has that guy been? He was awful last night. The Bucks were awful last night. I'm not trying to take away anything from the Nets. They're really, really good. They're the best team in basketball, okay? If they don't win the championship, it would be somewhat surprising. But without James Harden... It doesn't really matter for that team. 
They can sit down Kyrie. They can sit down Kevin Durant. They can sit down James Harden, and they're still going to score a ton of points, 125 points per 100 possessions in this series so far. The Nets are doing whatever they want. The Bucks' defense is awful. We thought this was going to be a series. We thought, well, if anybody's going to get and upset the Nets, it's going to be Milwaukee. No, it's not. I don't know if the Bucks win a game. And I know we're going to Milwaukee, and the Nets are going to be dogs in Game 3. But doesn't matter to me, to be quite honest. I, <laughs> I think this is going to be a relatively easy series for the Brooklyn Nets. Milwaukee is totally outmatched. Their roster is completely ill-equipped to handle the firepower for the Nets. And Mike Budenholzer looks like he's completely lost as to what to do to stop Brooklyn. So now you've got the 76ers and the Hawks. Again, I think the Hawks win the series. But tonight, I think that Bogdanovich is not going to shoot the same way he shot in Game 1. I think Trey Young will have some trouble with that double team until they kind of figure out ways of moving the basketball. That worked in the second half, and I think Philly will go right back to it. You're going to trap Trey Young, get the ball out of his hands, and you're going to use Ben Simmons at 6'10", and then like Tobias Harris at 6'7", and you've got a six foot one guard, and it's tough to get around those big trees. And, well, when the game really got tight, it was because Philadelphia's pressure – caused Atlanta to turn the basketball over. And the Sixers, top five in steals, top five top five in turnovers forced during the regular season. I, I think that comes into play tonight, and I think Philly wins this game relatively easily. I called it a double-digit, you know, when I was handicapping it and breaking it down last night, I think it's a double-digit win. So I guess you could lay the six and a half and feel comfortable, but I'm just not comfortable. I, I took the five, and I'm comfortable laying the five tonight. That you know, I, I don't want to go much more than six, to be quite honest. I mean, give me a two-position game, and then I'm not going to get backdoored by three-pointers or free throws or something stupid. Philly just wants to win the game. They don't care about the margin of victory. But last night, we saw two home teams and two home team blowouts. It will not surprise me if we see the exact same thing tonight with Philadelphia against Atlanta. I could easily see Philadelphia winning the game by double digits. And the same thing going for Utah tonight up against the L.A. Clippers. I don't know what to make of the Clippers. I don't know which team shows up. Do they care? Do they want to be in the series? What does Kawhi do? Do they want to play in Utah? Do they want to play with that screaming fan base behind? And it's a hostile environment with a very well-rested Utah Jazz team. I laid three and a half last night, and I didn't really feel badly or worried about it, to be quite honest. Not always the best handicap, but I think Utah's the better team. The Jazz right now rested at home. Give me Utah against the LA Clippers. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Everybody's got an opinion. Go ahead. Ask them. But only a few have an opinion informed by expert analysis and experience. It's called trust. It's why we're here. For you. Keep it here. And get the edge. You're listening to the Sports Grid Radio Network. You're listening to Pushing the Odds. Live from Las Vegas, here's Matt Peralt. 
So I guess this morning on ESPN, Jay Williams told told the audience that in in Mike Greenberg that Kevin Durant said, "quote Kevin Durant comes up to me and, and says, "Yo, don't ever ever compare me to Giannis." Now this is in the wake of the 125-86 victory last night, the 2-0 series lead that the Bucks currently have over the sorry the Nets currently have over the Bucks, and then this morning Kevin Durant came back with the tweet, "Mans will do anything to advance their careers in this media bleep, wanting to accept to be accepted by an industry that will dispose of you whenever they please. Keep me out of all that corny bleep talk." about who's better and legacy and all that dumbass bleep. I don't even talk like that. I like Kevin Durant shooting that down. I'm not going to put it past Kevin Durant to have said it to to Jay Williams and saying it in, in, in joking fashion because, well, Kevin Durant and Jay Williams are friends. It's known that they're, they know each other and that they're friends. So maybe Jay Williams was talking out of turn by saying that in the middle of a series that's only 2-0, that you know teams that are leading 2-0 in a best-of-seven win the series 93% of the time, and the Nets are, you know, are, unless they all get hurt all at once, then the Nets should very well advance here in this, in this series and probably in four or five games, to be quite honest. But I, I, I like that Durant's coming back here. I like the fact he's paying attention to what people are saying, and he's got rabbit ears, and Kevin Durant has been involved in social media, whether it be for you know, through burner accounts or through just you know talking to fans and going on Twitch and whatever. Durant has been has grown up with the Internet, has used the Internet, and is part of the Internet and part of the NBA Twitter conversation all the time. And he's not one to shy away from correcting people or commenting if he's being portrayed in, in, in a way he doesn't appreciate. So, I mean, Durant basically called Jay Williams a liar. I'm not so sure he's a liar, although I am pretty sure Kevin Durant is not happy that that statement got out, that it probably was an off-the-record joke that he made, and that you know that Milwaukee fans are going to jump on that, and you know that they're going to be trying to make that into something coming up for Game 3, that Kevin Durant was disrespecting the two-time MVP. And look, I, I don't think that that's what he was trying to do, but, you know, in joking around fashion, when someone says, hey, man, do me a favor, don't do that, like, don't compare me to him, like, it's easy to see that. It's easy to see how that could have gone down and have it not be that big of a deal. But once you put it out there on national TV, you know, now it becomes... You know, now it becomes something, right? Now it becomes something of of real significance, and now it becomes something that's pretty, that's pre- a, a pretty big deal. So, looking forward to seeing how that thing plays out once the Nets get to Brooklyn and get in front of the media. Uh, what you know, who's asking Kevin Durant? Hey, what did you mean about that comment to Jay Williams? Should be interesting to see his reaction to that. Uh, if if it does intend, it does go down that road. All right, our big four stories. Let's talk about those Nets and their win over the Bucks. I mean, it's a 2-0 series lead. And watching Milwaukee last night, because I bet Milwaukee, I expected a completely different offensive game plan. And they didn't have one. It is way too much isolation ball. It is way too much Giannis. And when he does pass the basketball, my goodness, his teammates are letting him down consistently. I mean, open layups, open jump shots, 
Brooke Lopez is the only dude you can rely on. He's the only dude that you're like, okay, when he shoots, you feel pretty good about his ability to score. Otherwise, it's just a disaster. I mean, Giannis scores 18 points last night. 18 points in a game that his team had to win. He scores 18 points. Chris Middleton was 7 of 20. Giannis, 8 of 15. I mean, that's completely unacceptable. And so now they go to Milwaukee where they think that they'll shoot better. But 8 of 27 from behind the three-point line is going to get you blown out against Brooklyn every time. And it's gotten them blown out in game one. And it's gotten them blown out in game number two. Uh, Look, Mike Putenholzer believes his team is not out of it. They're not going to panic. But my gosh, I don't know how you can look at this and feel good if you're the coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. I mean, they've won two games at home. Now it's our turn to go play there. I mean, and we've all seen it a thousand times. You guys have heard it. Um, you know, we got to go in and protect our home court just like they protected theirs. Um, you know, if you've been in the league a long time, you've seen this before. And um, I mean, we got to go home and play better. Yeah, I've seen 2-0 leads be protected 93% of the time. That's what we've seen, Coach, unfortunately for you. <laughs> I guess you can win, you know, game three and game four, and it's a series, but uh, yeah, not likely. Number two, Denver and Phoenix. How about another blowout for a home team? 122-105. Phoenix gets gets a great performance. Four of their five starters score 20 or more points. DeAndre Ayton had 20 and 10 last night. If that dude plays like that, Denver's in trouble, real trouble. Why? Because Jokic only scored 22. The Joker had 22, 9, and 7 on 10 of 23 shooting. You need to be dominant at that position. You need to double up DeAndre Ayton. If it's a wash, if that continues, Denver's in real trouble. Phoenix, huge game from their backcourt. Chris Paul at 21 points. Devin Booker scores 21 points. Really impressive atmosphere. Awesome home atmosphere. The home crowd was loud. Suns blew out the Nuggets last night in game one on TNT. Here's three, is Aaron, and picked up. Tori Craig, and that is all she wrote in game one. The semifinal game one in the Western Conference will go to the second seed, Phoenix Suns. Game one, 122-105. Number three, Hawks and Sixers played tonight. Big game two in Philly. Home team, Philadelphia, favored by six and a half points now. I'm on Philly, minus five. Numbers climbing. Doc Rivers has a message for the referees before game two tonight, however. He wants his players to be able to guard Trey Young with a lot more physicality than the referees have allowed. Aggression shouldn't be a foul. You know, it's funny. I've uh, one, of, one of the things I've done, is I've cataloged those plays all year. So it's not just Trey. In general, like uh, how many times Ben has been called for fouls for playing just physical good defense? Arms are in, he's physical, he's doing nothing. Uh, the offense is bumping just as much as the defense. Um, you know, I, I, I can I have a list of games where then the, the whistle blows. It's almost, wait a minute, that's defense, you know? <laughs> and so it is what it is, and you always have to adjust to it. That's one thing I tell our guys. Uh, but but you should never be penalized for playing straight, solid, legal, physical defense. 
We'll see how the referees are going to call the game coming up tonight. Fourth and finally, the Boston Bruins lost home ice last night as the Islanders won game five behind three power play goals. Five for the final. Game six tomorrow night with the Islanders going for the knockout blow of the Bruins. Head coach Bruce Cassidy is not happy with the way this series is being called right now. In fact, he's got a new name for the Islanders. This is my take on we're playing a team that has, uh, you know, very respected management coaching staff. They won a Stanley Cup. So, but I think they sell a narrative over there that um, it's more like the New York Saints, you know, not the New York Islanders. That You know, they play hard and they play the right way. But I, I feel we're the same way. And the calls, the exact calls that are getting called on us um, do not get called on them. So, it, and, and I don't know why. These are very good officials. They're, they're, they're at this point in the season for a reason. You've got continuous high sticks every game, the exact same high sticks. Uh, you know, Bergie or Nelson behind the net, the one that comes up on Smith. Marshy got called for that in game one. Uh, I could go on and on. Wagner the other day in front of the net. You know, maybe we need to sell them more flop, but that's not us. You just hope they'd see them. Nope. They didn't see them. Even with Gary Bettman in the house. Nick Ritchie got fined 5K for an elbow this morning by the, by the NHL. The, and the NHL also just criticized Bruce Cassidy, 25,000, for that statement we just played about the NHL. Four games in the playoffs tonight. Two in hockey, two in the NBA. Let's break them both down coming up. All four of them break them all down next here on... SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. This is Pushing the Odds. Live from Las Vegas, here's Matt Peralt. You know, we're in a really unique place right now in combat sports because of what just happened over the weekend on Sunday and the Logan Paul, the fallout from the Logan Paul-Floyd Mayweather fight and the numbers that are starting to be reported about what Floyd made. to, to, To be completely, you know, upfront. I have no problem with what Floyd made. I have really no problem with Logan Paul, what they made. I think people got it twisted a little bit on the internet, on Twitter, which is easy to do, when I was talking about the fact that the the Paul brothers are created or were created by the same thought process and the same desire for attention that got talk radio where it is. That every market, I think young people forget there was a time where there were not multiple sports talk channels in like Huntsville, Alabama, okay, where I started my talk radio career. There are multiple. I think there are three sports radio channels now, which when I was there was market like 114. I don't know what it is now. Maybe like 110, somewhere in that range. Outside the top 100. You know, it makes sense. If you're in a top 50 media market that you would have, you know, Coke and Pepsi in terms of your your talk radio stations for sports, because, you know, normally one of them is the home of the baseball team and one's the home of the hockey team and whatever's in your market. That's what you've got. That makes sense. But there was a time where 
having a 24-hour sports talk channel in a market that didn't have anything besides like a Division II hockey team or something, like that was unheard of. And then it became more and more popular. Talk radio took off, and it became the thing, and it became a very profitable and positive business for a lot of companies to have. And then syndicated became a really big thing, and then Sirius XM came around and whatever. So, you know, talk radio has exploded because of attention. And what got you attention was being outrageous, being crazy, saying crazy things. I mean, I made a career of this. I've talked about this a ton. You know, I was, you know, one of the the founding members of the bomb-throwing media where I am a northerner working in Alabama, working first in Virginia and then working in Alabama, and I got in trouble in Virginia based upon some of the things that I would say, and I would be honest, and I would talk about opponents, and I would talk about performances. And at the time, I was working for the University of Virginia as the voice of the women's basketball team, and frankly, the university did not like some of the opinions that I was putting out on the radio. And so I took that, and I was hired to be the morning drive host by a man who started the career of Sean Hannity, and I spent four, four and a half years, nearly five years, in what I called radio boot camp, where I was learning and watching and being coached, literally. I would have, you know, this doesn't happen anymore, but when I started in talk radio, I would have a consultant who would transcribe the entire hour of me on the air, every word. And he would make me go through the transcript of every word I stated on the air and ask me, did the word make sense? Did I need it? Could I have eliminated it? Could I have added something better? Could I have structured the argument better? Could I have placed a different structure, a word, a description in a more concise manner? That's how I learned talk radio. And the more outrageous, the better. Because my bosses would tell me consistently as a kid in his early 20s, I don't care if you're liked. I don't care if you're hated. I only care if the audience responds. Make them respond. Make the phone lines ring. That was the that's what so many of us grew up with. Make the phone lines ring. Get the reaction. Do you know what the phone lines turned into? The phone lines turned into the comment section on YouTube. That's what it turned into. And so you have now the same people that would call my radio show and tell me I'm an idiot and you know nothing about Alabama football and you know nothing about the SEC and you're just some carpet-bagging northerner who shouldn't be around here that we can't wait for you to leave because you don't know what you're talking about, right? That, that's what I got consistently. Now that just happens on the comment section. Now that's your Instagram, your Twitter, that's now your YouTube. That's where we get it. Same people, same comments, same thing. It's just now it happens quicker. And there are more of them because it's easier to type than it is to call and wait on hold for 15, 20 minutes or whatever it might be for you to get through. But nothing made my bosses happier than when they came into the control room during a break and I had eight full phone lines. And it was just pick your poison, take whatever you want, take whatever call you wanted to take and put them on and get them all riled up and get them all wound up and get them yelling and screaming. Because at the time, that worked. So I don't hate Logan Paul for what he has done. I don't hate Jake Paul for what they have done because they just took what we did and they weaponized it because they have the internet and the internet let them do it. So that's why they're making money. So what's interesting is to see the number of people, the fighters, the Paulo Costas of the world who are furious 
about the fact that Logan Paul is making the money he is making because he's not a combat athlete, okay? He's he's just an, a, a guy who did a bunch of dumb stuff. He's not a boxer. Do you see his boxing talent? I mean, my God, it was horrific. But Floyd carried him. Floyd led him. It was an entertainment show. It was a performance. It was performance art. It wasn't an athletic competition. There was nothing athletic going on. Floyd threw 48 punches. 28 punches landed for Logan Paul. 48 punches landed for Floyd in eight rounds. That's ridiculous. Okay, Floyd at his prime, when Floyd really is boxing for real, Floyd is landing 30 to 40 punches a round. All right? He just wasn't active. It was a sparring session. It was a glorified sparring session. And frankly, I saw, I've seen better sparring sessions this week at my own gym than what I saw on Sunday night. Frankly, it was boring. The fight stunk. But it didn't matter because it was a show. It was about the performance. So when Dana White says to TSN in Canada to Paulo Costa, he said, guess what? You should have started a YouTube channel when you were bleeping 13 years old and built your name up and everything else, but you didn't. You're not a bleeping YouTuber. You're a fighter, and this is what you do for a living, and you're in no position to be talking about crazy money after your last performance. You either want to fight or you don't want to fight. Now, Paul Costa looked horrible in his last performance, but the idea that what Dana White is putting out there is pretty accurate. You have to understand who you are and what you do. Like, where are you on the pecking order? Are you a fighter or are you a clown show? And I would, for my personal, you know, if I was looking at being a pro fighter, I would rather be wanting to be known for my skill and my talent and my athletic ability than what the Logan Pauls of the world are using. Sure, they're making a lot of money. They have no shame. They don't care. Because they learned it from us. They learned about that, that you can say all these things and do all these things, and there's no repercussion. That's always been the thing. I heard that for years in talk radio. You get to say whatever you want, and there are no repercussions for being wrong. And they're right. There are no repercussions. Sports gambling is different, and it's why I went into sports gambling. I left it five years ago. I left that part of the bomb-throwing media Because I did want some repercussion. Now, the repercussion is me losing money. But it's easier. It's more, in my opinion, it's better to break down a basketball game tonight and to lay points or take points, break down the game from a total perspective. And then tomorrow, you'll know if I'm right or wrong. And there is repercussions. I say, hey, I'm on the Philadelphia 76ers minus five. If you trail that, it's Matt, we were wrong. Why did you pick that? You were wrong. Instantly, bang. If I say Michael Jordan's the greatest player of all time and LeBron James will never be Michael, well, I can't ever prove that. That's just a, you know opinion. If I say the Philadelphia 76ers are going to win by five tonight, I'm going to know tonight if I'm right or I'm wrong. As a fighter, I would be more inclined to be remembered for what I did in the ring or in the octagon than what my YouTube channel looked like. One's an entertainer. One's an athlete. They aren't the same thing. When entertainers try to be athletes, okay, fine. They're not doing it for real. Jake Paul is trying to do it for real. And yet he's picking and choosing all these people, picking and choosing all of these fighters to go up against, these MMA fighters who are not strikers. He's not boxing against real fighters. There's a reason for that. You have to recognize who he's fighting. Ben Askren and now Tyron Woodley. 
These are aging MMA stars who are known for wrestling. These aren't boxers. Get in a ring with a boxer. Get in a ring with a legitimate, talented, young fighter. And watch what happens to Jake Paul. They are handpicking all the opponents. They are setting everyone up, and they're playing everyone. This is not real fighting, okay? This is play. This is make-believe. And they're laughing all the way to the bank. I don't hate them for it. They're playing the system really, really well. The system's the problem, and the system is what everyone's mad at. Dana White is part of the system. So it makes sense for Dana White to push back and say, hey, my job is to go ahead and make money for the company. My job is to build up fights, sell pay-per-views, and actually sell athletic contests, not one or two fighters. That's the difference between boxing and the UFC. Boxing is too locked up on the top guys. The UFC, it's A through Z. They want everyone promoted. They want everyone pushed. They want to make it profitable, and they want great cards and great pay-per-views. There is no debate that the UFC in the pay-per-view world has passed by boxing. All you got to do is watch the fact that people were buying that card, and Chad Johnson was on it, fighting. And he supposedly made a million dollars, okay? (laughs) A million dollars on that. We got a lot more to come, including the NBA games and the NHL games. But first, let's talk some baseball, baseball betting. RJ Anderson, CBS Sports, is joining us on the other side. Let's talk to him about where we are here as we cross over the poll, the first quarter poll here with baseball. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Pushing the odds. Live from Las Vegas, here's Matt Peralt. All right, let's talk everything baseball with RJ Anderson, who covers MLB for CBS here on Pushing the Odds. RJ, Matt Peralt, how are you? Uh, how are you doing? I can't hear you. Good, RJ. Oh, can you hear me now? No, I can. Yeah, I can hear you now. Sorry about that. Must Good, very nice. Switch. No worries. No worries. All right, so let's st- let's start with the Angels. Mike Trout says his calf is starting to feel better, but there's no timetable for the three-time American League MVP to come back. The team's four games under 500 right now. Uh, what's your outlook for the Angels for the rest of the year if Mike Trout's not going to be right? Yeah, the original estimate was six to eight weeks. So if you do the math on that, they'll be back perhaps late June, and if it takes them until the end of the eight weeks, we're talking about him returning with the beginning of the second half. So that's a substantial amount of time for a team that really can't afford to be without their best player and the best player in baseball for much longer. And you know, if we're talking about realistically, you know, that what's that team, I guess you would have to say they're going to enter July in seller's mode. And kind of the same story it is seemingly every year with that team where they make a bunch of you know, mid-tier additions during the winter, we say, oh, you know, maybe this is the year they actually make a run in the spring, and then by the summer, they are out of it, and shipping way veterans at the deadline. 
When does Mike Trout get angry about that? When do we hear from him publicly that, look, I'm not getting any younger. I have not played really many games in the postseason at all. And consistently, even when we had Albert Pujols, we weren't going to the playoffs. He's never won the division. When does he get angry after locking his future up with the Angels that they're not competitive? I'm not sure we'll ever hear from him publicly. I just don't think that's his personality. But I'm sure privately he's disappointed with how things have gone. And, you know, uh, a lot of second-guessing has happened about him signing that contract, but it's hard to turn down that amount of money, even if he could have potentially made more had he played out the process and hit free agency. So, you know, privately I'm sure he's kind of annoyed, but publicly I'm not sure we'll ever hear from him on that subject. Do you think his legacy gets injured? Can you be – one of the all-time greats without playing in a World Series? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, obviously, you can be an all-time great without winning a World Series because baseball is just so different than, say, basketball, where one player makes a huge difference. In baseball, you know, we saw it with Barry Bonds back in his day. We're seeing it with Mike Trout. You know, there's only so much a single player can do. And, you know, he'll turn 30 in a in a few months, so he still has a long road ahead of him. You know, a lot can change, and we'll see how it goes. But it's unfortunate that, you know, a guy who may go down as the best player of all time hasn't had much of a postseason, uh, you know, record, so to speak, or most, much of a stage to show off his stuff in front of a national audience. Hmm. All right, so the Yankees start a set here with the Twins coming up tonight on the road. The Yankees have lost – Five of seven, they just got swept by the Boston Red Sox at home. If you're a Yankee fan right now, how concerned should you be about where the team is? Yeah, mildly concerned, I think. You know, it's still somewhat early in the season, but we are more than a third of the way through, and their offense has been really inconsistent. I know there was a statistic floating around last week that the only team to be held to three runs or fewer in a higher percentage of their games was the Pittsburgh Pirates. And if you're a Yankees fan, you don't want to be mentioned in the same sentence as the Pirates, unless it's trade rumor, right? So, you know, they have to get they have to get their veterans in order. Um, you know, some of those guys are clearly underperforming, like Clint Frazier and Liber Torres, and I thought that maybe Frazier was starting to come out of it. You know, he's kind of tweaked some things with his swing, and you know, the issue for him had been getting underneath the ball, and it just seemed like, you know, it was a matter of time before he got going. But I don't know. You know, they're going to have to be active as a trade deadline, it seems. I don't know what that quite entails. You know, maybe they aim high and go for Trevor Story, or, you know, maybe they're a little more realistic and go for down market options. But if I'm a Yankees fan, I am starting to get a little concerned, even if I know big picture is probably going to be fine. RJ Anderson from CBS Sports joining us here and pushing the odds. All right, it's lefty day for the White Sox, and this is something that the betting world has really been on for a long time but recently left-handed pitching actually has been pitching better against the White Sox Robbie Ray going for the Blue Jays today up against Carlos Rondon is that secret kind of out now that if you're throwing a lefty against the White Sox you better be careful because they mash them yeah I mean you look at the lineup and it kind of makes sense but you guys remember too like platoon splits especially within the context of a single season take a long time to balance out so you know, I don't know how much weight I would put on that if I'm just looking at 2021 numbers, but it can at times speak to a deficiency or a strength within a team, and it's something worth monitoring a little bit deeper into. But you know, if you're just going off, say, individual platoon splits right now, you really need to have some underlying reasons for buying into those because the sample size just isn't big enough. 
Mm, interesting. What do you make of the White Sox right now, and really both teams in Chicago? Do they have staying power at the top of their divisions? Yeah, that's a great question. I believe the White Sox have the best run differential in the American League right now, which is not something I necessarily expected them to have, especially after the injuries to Robert and Jimenez earlier this year. But you know, to their credit, they've been able to really hit. I mean, Yasmani Grandel has like the funniest line in baseball right now. He's not hitting anything but home runs, and he's walking a lot. But um, you know, to answer the question, yeah, I think the White Sox and Cubs both have some staying power. Uh, my big concern with Chicago. Well, with the White Sox, just to say in this answer, was depth. And so far, you know, they've been able to keep their head above water despite missing some of those key players. If another key contributor or two goes down to injury, then you start getting a little concerned about that. And with the Cubs, you know, my my major reservation about them had been what do they do if they enter trade season and they are two or three games back in that division or more. But, you know, two or three games, you know, reasonable amount of distance you can cover over the rest of the year, but would they go ahead and trade Chris Bryant and Javier Baez and some of these other impending free agents, or would they add to it, or would they just stand pat and see what they could do? You know, if they're leading the division, that kind of changes the calculus a little bit. So I do think both of these clubs are good. I think they should remain competitive, but I do have more reservations about both of those squads, especially the Cubs, in case they do fall behind uh, heading into that trade deadline season. The Cubs are currently a half a game behind the Brewers, who have won 9 of 10, 4 in a row, and they have a negative run differential. This is a really weird thing. I mean, is this team just playing much better right now, or is this just one of those situations where, you know, they've got great starting pitching and they're winning a bunch of games one nothing, and then when they lose, they're losing like 5-1, 6-1? Right. I think it is one of those weird things. You know, I believe the Brewers have actually outperformed the run differential in the past few seasons. So it might be something about how they construct the roster. You know, they're usually pretty heavy on uh, relief appearances, and, you know, maybe that's playing into it. But also right now they have a horrible lineup and a good pitching staff, and that means, you know, on the days where, you know, Burns or Woodruff is going or even Peralta lately, you know, they might be winning one nothing or 2-1 or something like that. But when they do lose, like you said, you know, maybe they're pitching some of those uh, lower priority guys in the bullpen, and you know, they're allowing a run or two, and you know they're losing their games by three or four runs instead of winning by one or two. So uh, the key for them right now, though, has really been Willie Adamas. You know they made that trade for him a couple weeks back, getting him from Tampa Bay for two relievers, and you know to his credit, he's really uh, been a big boon for them offensively. I mean, if you look at his underlying numbers too, he's swinging less often, he's chasing out of his zone less often, he's also swinging and missing less often, which is a huge one for him because, you know, he's had some pretty gigantic strikeout rates the past year uh, year or two. So, you know, there's some credence perhaps to the idea that he just had trouble seeing the baseball in Tropicana Field. Now that he's out of there, it seems like he's picking up on it and he's showing better play discipline, making better swing decisions and hitting the ball harder. So that seems like it could be a potential a game changer for their lineup, or at least, if not a game changer, you know, a step in the right direction, because I do think they should remain in the market for another corner bat between now and July 30th. RJ, the Giants maybe are the surprise team of the entire season. Kevin Gossman, 7-0 with a 1.27 ERA, 93 strikeouts, a whip of .76. If he keeps this up, he's winning the Cy Young, but are you buying the Giants through this summer? Well, I'm buying them to finish third in that division. You know, realistically, <laughs> I just don't think they have the talent to, uh, you know, 
keep the Padres and Dodgers away from the top of the division. That's no disrespect to the Giants. You know, they're a good team. They should be in contention for a wild card spot. I just don't think they have the horses to keep up with those other two teams. Who is the better team, Dodgers or the Padres? Oh, gosh, can't go wrong either way, right? Um, I would probably – I know back in spring I would have said the Dodgers. I, I probably would stick to that for now. But, you know, the trading season ahead, it's possible that A.J. Perler has another blockbuster up his sleeve and maybe it forces you to reconsider the dynamic. Where is Fernando Tatis Jr. right now in the pecking order for the best player in the game conversation? He's probably top five. I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Obviously, you have Trout. I know Mookie Betts has had a down season, but you know the track record is really hard to you know go against unless you have significant concern about you know 50 something games. You also have to throw Juan Soto in there, Ronald Acuna Jr., uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is probably in the conversation for best hitter, but I think because of his defense, he's probably not in that conversation for best overall player. So I guess you know I feel comfortable saying top five, you can probably make a case that he's you know, top two, top three even. If you're a, a big fan or a believer in Tatis' ability to write his defensive woes. Isn't it crazy that Tatis Jr. is going to have a chance to play in more postseason games in more championship caliber teams than Mike Trout? I mean, it just, it, it's... Yeah. Isn't it crazy? Yeah, that's the way it goes, though, right? I mean, some players, you know, they land in the right situation at the right time. Uh, Trout, unfortunately for him, he was drafted by a team that was really near the end of its competitive cycle, and they kind of got caught flat-footed because they landed, again, the best player in the game at a time when they didn't really have a great farm system. They didn't have you know, a major league roster that was in great shape heading forward, and that's just how it goes, whereas Tatis, you know, he landed with a team that was on the upswing and has really devoted all these resources to maximizing and sustaining a long-term competitive window. Mm. RJ, we'll end with this. The Red Sox have won five games in a row. Can they win this division? Are they good enough, or do they have to make a move at the deadline to help them either in pitching or to help them potentially with a corner outfielder? Yeah, I think they're going to have to make moves if they want to win the division. I would bet against them winning the division. But, you know, it's a solid team. They probably were a little underrated uh, entering the spring, and you know, we'll see what Heim Bloom does because it's not in his nature to go out there and make a big trade and give up prospect capital for a short-term upgrade. Yeah, I totally agree. I don't think he's going to do it. I think that they're comfortable with the plan that they've got from a, from a long-term perspective. And Chris Sale coming back, we'll see what he looks like here probably in July or so when he finally gets on the mound for the Red Sox. But 37-23, and 23, I don't think many people thought they would have 37 wins here standing in the middle of June. It's been a remarkable start for Alex yeah, Moore's team. For sure. RJ, good stuff, man. Thanks. Thank you for the time. Appreciate you coming on, my friend. Yep, thank you. That is RJ Anderson, R underscore J underscore underscore Anderson on Twitter to follow him. Staff writer for covering Major League Baseball for CBS Sports here on Pushing the Odds. Look, I I think the Giants are going to be the team that I'm going to have the most fun watching. They've got 37 wins. They're a game and a half up on the Padres. They're three games up on the Dodgers. Do they stay there? Probably not. Do they keep a plus 70 run differential? Probably not. But they've won 7 of 10, and their pitching staff is really good. And it's just really hard. I mean, if if you're voting right now for the the starting pitcher in the All-Star game, Kevin Gossman's the guy. I mean, he's just unbelievable. He's 7-0 with a 1.27 ERA and a whip of .76. He's been incredible. But it's not just him. Pitching staff in general is really good. 
for the Giants. We got a lot more to come, including breaking down the games tonight in the NHL and in the NBA playoffs. It's a Tuesday for Pushing the Odds. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Listening to Pushing the Odds live from Las Vegas. Here's Matt Peralt. All right, I told you earlier I'm on Philadelphia minus five tonight. That number has shifted dramatically up to six and a half and climbing at the FanDuel Sportsbook right now. And well, I think it's the right move, to be quite honest. It, it's come back down, actually. Now it's six. I, again, I bet five. I think six is the number. I mentioned that earlier. I, I think it's a two possession game. I wouldn't lay much more than six. I, I, I would probably lay six with Philadelphia. I laid five, so I have a better number. But closing line value, I could care less about it. I, I actually hate it. I hated it last night. I hated the fact that the Nets wound up being the dogs. And I mean, I had Milwaukee plus one and a half. Number opened up at two. I had one and a half. Closed with Milwaukee minus two. And a blowout happened. I, I can't tell you how many times that has happened to me in my betting life where Everyone talks about closing line value. I could care less about it. I want to cash tickets. I could care less about, well, I was on the right side before. Yeah, I get it. I'm with that. I can rationalize those types of things, too, saying, hey, I was on the right side, the right bet, but it didn't happen. I have a hard time rationalizing that when it's a you know 25-point beatdown or whatever it wound up being. <laughs> 30-point beatdown that the Brooklyn Nets gave to Milwaukee. So hopefully the Hawks aren't coming out here. I do have a bet on the Hawks to win the series, so <laughs> I don't hate it if Atlanta wins, but I think if Philadelphia does win tonight, Philadelphia will cover. I, I don't see like a three-point win for Philly, but maybe. I, I But I laid the five with Philly tonight, and then I'm on three-and-a-half for the Jazz. That number has not moved. It's still three-and-a-half, minus 110 on either side. I know Clippers' money is going to keep that low, which is fine, but the Jazz are one of the best teams at home this year against the spread, and I will look for them to keep keep that rolling. Tonight in the NHL, Tampa Bay against, against Carolina. There's been some movement towards Tampa on the money line. I, I laid minus 120 with Tampa last night. It's now minus 126 on the money line. And I took Vegas at plus 130. We'll explain more on those bets coming up later on in the program during this hour. We welcome in the Sports Map Radio audience coming up in the next hour. Don't move. We'll talk some baseball analytics and betting as well in the next hour here. Hour two of Pushing the Odds next on Sports Grid Radio Channel 2.